You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Uh, turn into your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. Raise your hand if you're going to the Millfall Retreat. Oh, yes. That's a good, that's a good percent. Genesis chapter 12. Uh, we're just going to read three verses as we begin this morning. Did you know that we're studying Old Testament history this month? But this is the last Sunday of this month. Next month, if you look on your cards, we are studying the book of 1 John. That will, uh, that will also be a great subject. Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. We're going to look at the, the story of Abraham today. And if, pardon me if I call him Abraham. His name gets, his name gets changed from Abram to Abraham. Did you know that? So pardon me if I call him Abraham, but right here in, verse t- in chapter 12, verse 1, his name is actually Abram. And it says to Abram, it says, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, your father's house, and go to the land that I will show you. Pretty much, pick up everything, pack it all up, leave your land, leave everything you know, leave your extended family, and go into a land that I will show you. A big step of faith, don't you think? <laughs> don't you think? It's a huge step of faith. Erica and I were supposed to get a house. Uh, some of you know we were, we were, there's like this process of getting the house, then foreclosing, or I mean getting, closing on the house, like the deal. It's, it's a big process if, you're, if, you're, if you've ever done that. It's, we're doing it for the first time. And we have all our stuff packed up because we were supposed to close on the house Two days ago, only like permits didn't cut, like the house was remodeled and somebody that remodeled thought, I'll, I'll just do it without permits. No, no need for electrical permits or <laughs> plumbing permits or structural permits. Let's just remodel the house. So the house is sort of a lemon. So we don't, we're not going to get the house. So I say that to say that our entire house is, is in boxes right now. All our stuff. And we're ready to go somewhere, but we have nowhere to go. <laughs> Everybody say, oh, it is. It's a sad situation. But this is where Abraham is at. It says, leave your country, leave your people, your father's household. Go to the land I will show you. But in, in, uh, almost in, uh, in reward of doing that great act of faith, verse 2 says, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. This is the Lord talking. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless, the, bless, those who bless you, And whoever you curse, I will curse. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Did you know that we're people on the earth? We are blessed through the the blessing of Abraham. Because eventually, you know, it's Abraham's genealogy that leads straight to Jesus Christ, whom we're blessed by. And so what an amazing blessing. Would you pray with me this morning? God, we we open our minds to you right now, Jesus. We open our hearts to you. God, teach us from the book of Genesis. Teach us from Old Testament history about calling this morning. God, would you call us into something great like you did Abraham? Would you give us the faith to be able to walk into that calling no matter where it takes us? Jesus, our our minds, our hearts, our wills are open to you and to your will. God, we're just so grateful to be here this morning learning about you. And everybody said... Amen. I usually say everybody scream amen. Would you like to scream amen? One, two, three. Amen. Oh, I know. I know. It's so much fun. Um, I have some uh, sort of some announcements for you. The first one, of course, is Thirsty, the Millfall Retreat in a couple weeks. Uh, I guess it's one. Is it two weeks away? Is it just two weeks away? You need to go to the Millfall Retreat. If you're thinking, oh, I'll just stay back and come to the Mill Sunday School. There's going to be no Mill Sunday School when we're up at Fall Retreat because I'll be up at the Fall Retreat. And so Mill, the, the Mill Fall Retreat is the event of the year. And let me encourage you, if you're kind of newish around here, lots of times Mill Sunday School has lots of new people because it's, I mean, why wouldn't there be? It's sweet, right? If you're newish around here, the Mill Fall Retreat is the way to go. You will meet more people than you can handle. You'll meet all your friends there. I guarantee. I really do. It's, it's an awesome place to get connected if you're new. Don't be afraid to go. Um, Let's see, the second thing is on all your desks, are, uh, it's, a, it's a, like a calendar thing. It says portal calendars. It's like a little white piece of paper. I'll talk about that later. Um, uh, and then the third announcement 
has to do with Matt. Where's Matt? There's Matt. Would you mind standing up for just a second? If you want to help um, the special needs ministry, Sunday morning, right? They go out, they, they drive shuttles and buses and vans and all kinds of things. Uh, go around to various areas of town, pick up people with special needs that are physically or mentally disabled that can't drive, bring them to New Life Church so that they could, they could experience worship. Talk to this guy right here. It's, it's before Sunday school, so you'll get, you have to get up really early. But who likes getting up early? Everybody does. Why not? So talk to Matt. He really, we, New Life Church really needs drivers for our special ministry, people that want to come here and worship. Are you ready to get started with today's lesson? I have a story for you. It's, it's kind of random as to why I chose this, but it's about having faith in something. It's about, um, so you see, Abraham was called. I mean, not in an irreverent way, but Abraham was just a nobody from nowhere. I mean, think about it. He just pops up in the Bible. God chooses this one, I mean, to us, it just looks like he chooses this one random dude who's just living in a, in a random city in Mesopotamia like thousands and millions of other people. God picks one guy and says, I want you to go somewhere to a new land, and then I'm going to bless you. Follow the faith of my voice. And so this is really interesting. The following letter was fa- found in a can wired to a handle of an old water pump that offered the only drinking water on a very long and seldom used trail across Nevada's Armagosa Desert. So in the, in the Great Depression, in the 20s, 30s, people were going to California for see, seeking jobs and stuff like that. Anybody ever read Grapes of Wrath? So one of the shortcuts, really? Only like three people? That's, what are you guys doing? You saw, you saw the movie? Oh, just as good then. Just as good. <laughs> um, that people moved to California, and one of the shortcuts they could take was through Nevada, this trail in the desert. Anybody ever driven across Nevada? I mean, if you're driving across some lonely roads in Nevada in the summertime, it's, if your car breaks down, you could be in some serious trouble. It's like 110 degrees, no water anywhere. You can only live a couple days without water, especially in a desert like that. So imagine yourself not in a car, but like with a donkey riding across Nevada or in like an old jalopy car that broke down every 10 feet. Um, not a good situation. So this is a letter. This is a note found in a can on an old water pump. Are you ready? This pump is all right as of June 1932. I put a new sucker washer into it, and it, has la- it ought to last five years. But the washer dries out, and the pump has got to be primed. Under the white rock, I buried a bottle of water. Out of the sun, cork end up. There's enough water in it to prime the pump. But do not drink some first. Pour about one-fourth and let the, let the leather soak in. Then pour the rest medium fast and pump like crazy. You'll get water. The well has never run dry. Have faith. When you get it watered up, fill the bottle and put it back for the next feller. Signed, Desert Pete. P.S. Do not drink any water first. Prime the pump with it and you will get all that you can hold. Think about that for a second. You have, this, you have this bottle of water. Do you have the faith in the note, or do you just drink the bottle of water? Do you prime the pump and get enough water for you and your donkey and your kids and everybody, or you just, do you just drink the water right there? What would you do? Would you have faith in the note? Would you have faith in, the, in the something that you don't even know who this person is? You don't even know where this note came from. It's, it's signed Desert Pete. Sounds like a crazy man to me. Um, but think about, think about that story and then think more seriously about Abraham. Abr- Abram, excuse me, before his name is changed to Abraham, is, is just chilling, living his life in about two, two, 2000 B.C., just chilling, and he hears a voice from God, a, a God that he might not know very well. And then God says, leave your land, go to, a place that, go to another land which I will show you, and I will bless you beyond anything you've ever seen. Every person in the world is going to be blessed through you. So before we talk about Abraham, shall we do a little review as to where we're at? Yes, we shall. If you're taking notes, uh, the R in the review got cut off. (laughs) But the first word does say review. We've been studying the book of Genesis. Last week I wasn't here. I was in Peru. It was a pretty sweet trip with Evan Martin. We got to go down there and speak to some churches. But Aaron Stern was here. Did he do a good job? Did Did he bring it? 
That's what I heard. I heard he brought it. I heard he talked about Joseph and God's plan and uh, stuff like that. Cool stuff. Joseph is way after Abraham. We're going to go back and talk about Abraham real quick. But as to review, the book of Genesis starts off with, um, with the four letters that we talked about a couple Sunday schools ago. In the beginning, God. That God is totally separated from his creation. That God created everything because he's God and he can. Everything in this world is either one of two things. God or God's creation. Think about it for a second. God, if it's not God, then God made it. There wasn't something hanging out with God when he was around. No, it was just God and then everything he created. Um, then we talked about the fall of human beings, the, the fall of Adam and Eve, and the story of judgment, and how the, the problem of evil entered into the world, that we now have free will and, and responsibility to do good things, but the freedom to do bad things. Do you remember talking about that, yes or no? Some of you do. Thanks for the smattering of yeses. <laughs> Uh, then we talked about the flood, did we not? We talked about the flood and God's judgment, how God destroyed the world, and how, but how he, how he had a redeeming um, person named Noah who built a boat, got the animals, and of course, you've all seen the movie Evan Almighty, haven't you? Pretty much the same thing, you know, no big deal. Uh, it's very, very realistic. <laughs> and then we come to the first person. Abram, Abram is so... Cool, in my opinion, because he is going to be the first person that is going to start the patriarch. The, the, these lists of, of, of fathers, Abraham, Jacob, uh, no, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, this long line of people that will make up the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I mean, you could trace it all the way through Moses. And so Moses hasn't been around yet. Um, Isaac hasn't been around yet. Joseph hasn't been around yet. This is the story of Abram, the first one, that, the first person that God really calls to make into a people. Would you like to know a little bit about Abram? Some background of who this dude was. Well, he's called, it said in, in verse 12, or excuse me, in chapter 12 when he's called, it says that he was about 75 years old. So he's kind of an old geezer. <laughs> hanging out, lived his whole life. He's ready to, I mean, he's, he, he's, I mean, he's just an old dude. He's lived his whole life. And then God calls him to go somewhere. The year, if you're writing down notes, is around 2090 B.C. Is that a long time ago? You better believe that's a long time ago. B.C., you know what that means? Yeah, before Christ. So 2,000 years before Christ, uh, 2,000 years, we're like 2007 right now, and then like this is like 2,000 years ago is Christ, and then 2,000 years before that, that's 4,000 years ago this story takes place. You know what's going on in Egypt around the time Abraham is doing his thing? They're like building pyramids and, and, and stuff and all the Egyptian dances and stuff. And you know what they're doing in England around 200 B.C.? Yeah, they're trying to put up the Stonehenge thing. I mean, how do they do that? Has anybody been there and seen that? There's thing, they weigh as much as like huge, like big trucks, and they're like stood up. How in the world did they do that? It's just amazing. Um, and so they were doing that. This is like 200 B, excuse me, 2000 BC. I have a map. Would you like to see a map of the area in which Abraham was in? Do you know what country is present day there? Yeah, Iraq. And so I'm going to show you a picture of ancient Iraq. And the city of, you know where Abraham was originally from? Do you know the name of the city? Any Bible scholars? Ur, yeah. <laughs> Wouldn't that be sweet if Colorado Springs was named Ur? I think that would be pretty cool. They're working on the map. He warned me that it might take a second to get the map up. So, But that we got three of our best guys on it. <laughs> uh, Evans, Evans doesn't know what's going on. All right, anyways, it's present-day Iraq. And, and you, did you know that the Tigris and Euphrates are there? And that's the ancient Mesopotamia. Same thing. Oh, look at that. That is beautiful. That is really beautiful. Um, there we have the Mediterranean Sea. The red lines, or the Abraham comes from like right here. Do you see that? Barely. It, say, it says Ur right there. He comes from Ur, 
of the Chaldees. And Ur is the name of the city. The Chaldeans are a group of, of people. And he goes north along that red line up the, I believe it's either the Tigris or the Euphrates River, up to Haran. That's a city right there. That, that distance would have taken around 30 days if you were going by donkey, which they had to. They, there wasn't any. Think about this for just a second. He packs up everything he has. And are there hotels along the way? Like big uh, Marriott's and stuff that he could stay at? Probably not. Were there telephones that he could call back and tell people how he was doing? No. Was there email? No. He picked up everything he had and moved. I mean, everything along the way, where was he going to stay? Well, he was going to stay in some tents that were strapped onto the back of donkeys. And it wasn't just Abram that went, by the way. It was a bunch of his servants. His entire family went to Haran. And so we have this story of this, this just traveling through up until Haran. I mean, it just... Picture it, if you will. There's no highways. There's probably not even well-maintained roads. It's more like little trails that you might get lost on through the desert, through the jungle. Uh, at this time, the, uh, if you go to Iraq now, it's very deserty. But at this time, it was very jungly. And, uh, I mean, it talks about li- lions and tigers and bears being, oh, my. I mean, can you, can you imagine a lion or a tiger or a bear in, like, downtown Baghdad? <laughs> it's too dry. It's a desert. It's, it's dried up since since 4,000 years ago, but that's kind of how it was. Um, Would you like to know who the Chaldees were? Sure you would. The Chaldean people um, are very, like, into sorcery. In fact, their very name in the Greek, the the Greek word for a sorcerer is a Chaldee. And so their very name of, uh, their very name of the Chaldeans, they're into sorcery. They, I mean, there's so much into it that their very name becomes the word for sorcerer. Think about that for a second. Abraham comes from a group of people that are totally into sorcery, and God chose this particular person to, to go out and carry and to hear the voice of the Lord. I mean, how? think about that for just a second. In a culture that was just all into sorcery, Abraham is saying, I've heard the voice of the one true only God. He has spoken to me and told me to go. Think about that. I mean, everybody around him was probably like, you're crazy. Why don't you just go, uh, go into a tent and burn incense and do some sorcery magic and play with cards or something? He was like, no, I've heard the voice from the one, the true, the only God, and he has told me to do something huge, to go out into, uh, into a new land. And just for instance, I kind of joked around that Abraham was called, he was a nobody from nowhere, and he was called to do something totally random, but that's really not the case. If you look at Genesis chapter 11, Starting at the very end of chapter 11, in verse 31, it talks about Abraham's daddy. And Abraham's daddy was a dude named Terah. And it says, Terah took his son, Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law, Sarai, the wife of the son of Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldees to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and then he died in Haran. So it looks like to me, if you, if you look at verse 31, it says, Terah took his son Abraham, Abram, excuse me, and went to go to the, find the new land. But they didn't quite make it there. And so it's almost as if Abraham was called by God and heard the voice of God, but his dad, the vision that was in his dad, was also to go to this new land, to Cana. Have you ever thought about that? Think about it now. That this, his, it just, God doesn't just come out of the blue and, and say, Go, Abraham, go into this new land. But it was something working inside of him probably since he was a little boy. I mean, there's no dates listed here, so I'm just kind of thinking about how this happened. But it, it doesn't say that Abraham, it says that Terah took his son Abram into the land of the Chaldees. So it was something that was building inside Abram as he was called by God. This, this morning's lesson is really about um, a voice of God, really, what the voice of the Lord sounds like. You know, I've never heard God's audible voice, although there, there's lots of people that have. By a show of hands, has anybody ever heard the audible voice of God at some point in their life? Wow, a few of us have. I think that's really cool. I've never heard an audible voice of God before. But I will tell you this, that I've, there's been a calling in my life to do certain things at certain times. This leading, this passion. To, for instance, I, I teach the Mill Sunday School. I absolutely love it. It's just been inside of me that I want to learn more and, and do things. I want to be a nerd. 
And so, and so I teach the Mill Sunday School because you guys are all nerds, right? I mean, we're the tribe of people that, that like Bible knowledge, and I just love that. And I feel as though it's a calling from God. I never heard an audible voice saying, Joe, start the Mill Sunday School, lead it well. I never heard an audible voice like that. I never even heard a direct calling like that. It was more of a leading. Does anybody know who Jack Hayford is? Jack Hayford is, uh, uh, I, he was a pastor, still is, I guess, pastor of a four-square church in Van Nuys, California. Um, really considered, you've probably heard his name before, because he's written countless books. He's considered to be a pastor to pastors. And so he has a school of pastoral ministry. And I was in one of his classes one time, and he talked about how he had never, ever experienced God's direct leading to do something particular, like to start the church that he started. And I took a lot of encouragement from that. Because some of us in here um, are on the other spectrum of that. Maybe God has shown you or led you to something specific that he wants you to do with your life, whether that's to be a missionary or to be a fireman or to be uh, work, at, uh, work at your workplace and like do computers. Maybe you're gifted in that. And you feel like God has literally called you into to working with computers and doing that kind of thing. I don't, I don't feel that God ever called me specifically to to do what I do with the mill. And Jack Hayford was saying kind of the same thing, how he never specifically heard from God to, to start the church. However, he said, I'm still living and working off the great commandment that Jesus gave to go make disciples of everybody and baptize and disciple people. He said, I'm living off of that. I'm living off what, the, what I know the Bible to be true, and I'm living it out the best I can and, and following in the opportunities that he believes God has given him. And I think that's kind of cool. Don't you? Some of, I mean, how many of you have heard some, maybe some of you have, maybe just by a show of hands, how many of you specifically know what God is calling you to do with your life in specifics? Lots of people? Anybody? Four of you? Just a couple of you? A, a, a decent percent. Would you do something kind of important? Would you get in a discussion with the people at your tables? I want you to discuss something that is um, just specific to your own life, your own walk with God. The question is, How? How has God spoken to you in your life? How has God spoken to you? And if, and if you, would, you would say, well, I don't know that God has ever really spoken to me, that's okay. Share that. But in the, same, in the same kind of thought work, it takes faith to believe that you've heard the voice of God. It takes faith to believe that what you heard, what you're being led to is from God. So in that type of faith, step out in faith and say, I, th- I think God has shown me this, or I've heard the voice of God in this way or that way. Would you discuss that? Specifically, how have you heard the voice of God in the past? Ready? Get set, go. All right, what are some, uh, <clears throat> is anybody bold enough to say some of the ways in which God has spoken to them um, in the past? Anybody? How has God spoken to you? Yes, sir. <laughs> so in a dream. In a dream. How else have you heard from God? Yes, my wife Erica. Yeah, from other wise individuals in the faith. Has anybody even more specifically heard, like has someone been praying for you? It's, it's, we use the word prophecy. Has, has anyone in here ever been prophesied over? Quite a few of us have. Someone's praying for you, and they'll say, you know what, I just feel like I need to tell you this. I feel like God is sharing this to me to give to you. It's called prophecy. It's pretty sweet. How else has God spoken to you? Yes, ma'am. A vision, so not a dream. You, were, you weren't asleep. Vision. Sweet. She was driving, so she wasn't asleep. That's good. Uh-huh. In flames, on fire. Like you saw it. You're just like, wow, what does it mean, you know? <laughs> yeah. I had a vision once. It was the weirdest, maybe not the weirdest thing, but pretty weird. I was in Guatemala on a mission trip, and uh, I couldn't, it was, it was at night, we were in a hotel. There was a painting in the room of like a bunch of Guatemalan people like getting water from a river. Uh, it's like a little weird painting. And uh, I remember looking at it as I was falling asleep and praying for Guatemala. And I remember look at the, looking at this painting thinking, huh, I didn't know that this was a Christian hotel because it had like, or maybe I just thought, oh, it's a Catholic hotel because in the top of the painting was uh, like God just like 
sending out his light onto the people of Guatemala as they were doing their work. And I just thought, oh, that's kind of cool. And so I was praying about that and just praying that God would shed his light over Guatemala. I wake up the next morning. I look at the painting. There's no God. It's just a picture of painting of like people in Guatemala in the river like doing work. And I just thought, was that a vision? That's so weird. And I just, it was just really cool. And so that, that's my vision experience. How else? Anything else? Someone, we raised our hands for audible voices. How else has God spoke to you? Yes. Yeah. She said, yeah, did you hear that? She said through a gut feeling or just feeling peace about a certain decision, right? How many of you have experienced that? That's probably the most common way that we kind of feel the leading of God. Not an audible voice. Sometimes it's an inner voice. Or sometimes it's just like this great sense of peace. Or maybe even um, uh, in, like if you're doing something wrong, maybe it's the Holy Spirit leading you to, to that's a wrong decision for your life. All of these are in the Bible. Um, I was looking at the story this morning where um, Elijah, excuse me, Samuel is, is about to fall asleep. And he hears a voice saying, uh, Samuel. And so he gets up. He goes into the next room and says, what, why are you calling me, Eli? <laughs> What's going on? And Eli's like, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. So he goes back to bed. This story's found, by the way, if you want to look at it later in 1 Samuel chapter 3. So Samuel goes back to, to bed. And then here's another audible voice saying, Samuel. And so he gets up again, goes back to Eli. And Eli says, bro, I'm not calling your name. Go back to bed. You're acting a little weird. So he goes back to bed the, third, the, the second time. And then, and the, but then Eli says, maybe this is the voice of the Lord. Next time, say, here I am, your servant is listening. And so he does that, and God speaks to him audibly. So it's like a weird audible voice where he thought it was Eli speaking to him in the next room. There's another weird audible voice that happens, the calling of Saul. Saul that becomes Paul, his name gets changed. He, fought, he uh, gets a vision and light, and he hears the voice of Jesus saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Knock it off, is my interpretation of that. <clears throat> but the people standing around him hear something weird, some of them hear a voice. Others of them just hear like rumblings, it said, in, in, after the book of Acts. There's lots of that. There's, um, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah talks about, in, he says, he uses the phrase quite a bit, says, in my hearing, the Lord revealed to me. He said, in my hearing, the Lord revealed to me something. Isaiah 30, 21 says a really cool verse that talks about whether you go to the right or to the left, you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. That's kind of cool, don't you think? That you'll hear this maybe audibly, maybe not audibly, maybe just this gut feeling of this is the way to walk. Of course, in the Bible, there's lots of visions. There's dreams. There's prophecy, people prophesying over one another. There's uh, interpretations of tongues. And by the way, did you, know that, did you know that the Bible is a really good way to hear the voice of the Lord? Did you know that? And I'm not talking about like, okay, God, what should I do in this situation? And then that's, that's silly. That's not how God speaks to the Bible. If, if, <laughs> I was thinking about that this morning. If like some girl's like, which guy should I marry? And then she opens it up and says, like, oh, Hezekiah. I don't know a Hezekiah. And so it's just silly. It's just a silly thing to do. But God speaks to us through the Bible. And so I want to give you something. I'm going to move my chair here so I can write on the board. If you're taking notes, write this down. I've gone over it maybe maybe two other times in the course of the, the history of the Mill Sunday School. And I go over it today as, uh, as maybe the third time. Uh, if you've been around for a long time, you've made this maybe the third time you've seen this of how we know we've heard the voice of God, how we know when we've experienced truth. And so write down the voice of God and then maybe a circle around it. And then I'm going to put four things. One thing here, 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 and then here as to how we know that we've heard the voice of God. And when these, four, these are the four best ways. They're almost like four um, like, uh, like pencils. You know, if you take one pencil, could you break it in half really easily? Yes, you could. If you have four pencils, though, could you break it in half really easily? No, not unless you have, like, man hands and you're really strong because uh, four pencils is thick. And so it's, it's as if all four of these are working together, then you can kind of be sure, be certain that this is the voice of the Lord. What then is at the very top of how we know we've heard the voice of the Lord? 
lines up with his word. The Bible, yes. B-I-B-L-E. If you have a weird dream about, uh, I don't know, you just have a weird dream. Uh, that maybe, you, maybe you're the Easter bunny. You know, you have a dream that you're the Easter bunny. And you're like, God, is that from you? Am I supposed to start a ministry about being the Easter bunny? Um, I don't know. Then you could turn to the Bible. Actually, that's a, that's a horrible example. Um, that's a horrible example. Scrat, pretend I never said that. Let's say you have a dream about the, a sacrifice. Like uh, This is I guess, probably another bad example, a gory example. The, um, do you have a dream about that you should sacrifice your neighbor's cat unto God? <laughs> right? You should go and make the sacrifice of your neighbor's cat. You start reading the Bible and you realize that you're not supposed to sacrifice animals to God. You're not supposed to have little seances and sacrifice animals to God. The dream that you had was probably just a weird dream because you heard your neighbor's cat in the middle of the night or something. You line things up with the Bible. Uh, excuse those two random examples. That's, I, should, I should really think through examples before I give them. Um, the Bible is the best way that we have to know we've heard the voice of the Lord. We can take things and say, I think the Lord might be calling me to this, but the Bible, it, it doesn't, it just doesn't, like, I mean, suppose you felt like the that God was leading you into some sort of sinful area for your life. Uh, you know, you could say, well, that does not line up with the Bible. That clearly cannot be from God. So that's at the top, the Bible. Um, on the side, I'm going to put, on the two sides, and there's a reason as they fall, as they fall lower, they become less, um, I guess if they were pencils, the Bible would be the thickest pencil. These two would be middle thicknesses, and this last one will be like a tiny pencil. Does that make sense to my weird analogy? So the Bible, th this one over here, put experience if you're taking notes. Experience. Experience. And why can't I spell? Experience. Is that right? Yeah, it is. Experience is, is what Abraham probably had when he received the voice of the Lord. This is when we're praying and, and we may hear something, or that gut feeling, or we have a vision, we have a dream. These are all experiences from God, an inner voice, an audible voice, an experience from God leading us in a certain direction. If it lines up with the Bible, it's a really good thing. The other thing it should line up with is something that my wife said, because she's really cool, is the community. The community of those around us. If you feel like you're having a, a, a leading from God to say, let, just another bad example, I'm sure, is if I felt like God was leading me to be a professional basketball player, I would ask some of you about that decision, and you would all tell me, that's dumb, Joe. You might be good at, at teaching Sunday school. You might be good at doing dumb little videos for the mill, but basketball is not your strength. You're not that tall. You're not that coordinated. That's silly that God would lead you in that direction. And so the community of God, the people around us, our pastors, our leaders, the people that are with us in accountability, if you have an accountability partner, that's a really good thing. I have, I have two accountability partners. We meet every other Sunday. I highly encourage you to get some people in your life that are speaking into your life that, you, that ask you hard questions and you ask them hard questions. That's what this is all about. The community running your decisions through your godly parents running your decisions through someone that knows a lot more than you as it, when it comes to faith and the Bible and how God is leading. Someone in your life that's maybe older than you. So that's community. The last one at the bottom is, I'm just going to put the word, the word logic or thinking or thinking through situations. God gives us our mind for a reason. That if, if we believe God is calling us, if our community thinks it's a pretty good decision, it kind of lines up with the Bible, then... Think it through. Is it a good decision? Logic is still important. But so, I, I put logic at the very bottom because how logical is it for Abraham to move from everything that he knows? Pack up, leave your father's household, everything you have, leave, and I will go show you a land. How logical is that? It, it's not that logical to go, to, to leave everything behind, the life that you have, all your wealth, all your riches, and just leave all that and go somewhere else. But... That's why it's at the bottom. But it's still an important part of how we decide 
what is the voice of God? Would you like a real example, the example that I thought through this morning? I was, um, it's about my wife, Erica, how we started dating. Sound like a good story? Everybody say, ah, oh, it's so precious. We, uh, we, we met a couple years ago. We've been married for, uh, for nine months and nine days. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, we met a couple years ago. And when I first saw her, I really liked her. I had an experience that I felt, I really felt like God was giving me someone that I was going to start dating. And, and ladies and gentlemen, I, the day, not the day, I guess like the weeks that I met Erica and we started kind of chatting, uh, it was like a New Life staff meeting. Is that when we first met? Or through the School of Worship? During that week, I wrote in my journal and said, I've met someone that I think God is calling me to date. And then, and then get this, when, uh, when I went to propose to her, I, I read her that original journal entry. Uh, it was precious, I know. So the experience that I had was, was that I felt like she was, I mean, I knew she was hot because I could see that. Um, <laughs> but I had an experience that, that, that she was a godly woman. I had this calling in my body and my heart that maybe she is the person that I'm going to marry. Maybe she's the person that I should start dating, et cetera, et cetera. The experience side of things. But if that's all you have, that's not really good. I think it's a, it's a weak pencil to, that could break if it's not lined up with the Bible. And so I really did do this. I really sought God. I prayed, but I also read the Bible. I read uh, Proverbs 31 that talks about a, a, a wife of noble character. Have you ever read that? Proverbs 31. And I kind of thought through, okay, Erica, is she godly? Is she a godly woman that kind of lines up with what God has to say about what a, a godly wife should be. And I thought, yes, she does. And so I, I kind of brought that decision to date her within the Bible. Also, I asked some people around me if I should start dating Erica. And here's, here's my big opinion about this. Do you want a big opinion about dating? Um, we all, it's, de deciding to date someone is a very emotional heart decision, don't you think? And so when you're in the midst of an emotional heart decision and a cloud of la-la land, sometimes it's easy to think you've heard from God, but really you're just hearing from the cloud of la-la land. Right? And so I would almost say that in a very heart emotional situation, I would kind of lift the, lift the balance of things, put experience just a little bit lower, and community just a little bit higher. And by that I mean you should go to the people that like you're, you're the people that um, if you have people in your life that are like pastors or people that are looking out for you or mentors, spiritual mentors, go to them and say, I'm thinking about this girl. What do you think about this girl? And so I went to, do you guys know Glenn Packiam? Glenn Packiam teaches, the school, he's the director for the School of Worship. He knew Erica very well because Erica was in the School of Worship. And so I went to my friend, Glenn Packiam, and said, Glenn Packiam, what do you think about Erica Shaleen? That was her name before she got married. And Glenn said, oh, bro, go for it. <laughs> so then I went to Aaron Stern, also knew Erica. And Aaron Stern is a mentor, kind of my pastor, my boss, obviously, as well. And so I went to Aaron Stern and said, Aaron, what do you think about Erica Shaleen, and he, and he said, oh, bro, go for it. <laughs> and so there was this period, it was kind of cool because she was in the furnace, kind of cool, kind of not cool. She was in the furnace, and so she wasn't allowed to date for three months. And so it kind of allowed this process to naturally happen. Before we started dating, I was able to, to, to talk to people. I actually called, I actually emailed her dad and said, I would like to start dating your daughter. Has anybody ever done that, got permission from the dad before they started dating a girl? It's really cool. I think you should do it. It's crazy. It's, it, was, it was really hard to do, but I did it because I believed that this part of community is very important, that I'm, I'm going to follow the will, of the will of God to marry someone that God has called for me. Then I'm going to listen to my community, have just, not just have an experience, but also read the Bible and think logically about the situation and, and, and think, okay, is, is this woman, Erica, the, the kind of woman that I, I would want to marry? And so I really did. I thought through, okay, she, she's a godly woman. I thought through, um, to me, finances is kind of important. So she, I, I thought, 
Is, is she someone that's like in crazy credit card debt because she can't stop shopping? Um, and she, no, she's not. She's not in crazy credit card debt because she couldn't stop shopping. And by the way, if she was, I don't know that that would be the nail in the coffin that said, no, this woman isn't for me. But it was all part of the decision I made when I started dating her and start led to marriage, obviously. Um, I also thought, like, I'm a virgin. I was a virgin before I got married. And I also wanted someone that was also a virgin. And she was also a virgin. And so I was just logically thinking through, um, is this the kind of woman that's godly? Is this the kind of woman that I, I thought about our, our, what I want to do with my life and what she wants to do with her life? Is this the, the, the leading, the direction that I believe the voice of God is calling me into? And it's out of that system that I made the decision to start dating her and then eventually to marry her. Everybody say, oh, I know, it's so precious, isn't it? But let's get back to Abraham really quick before we have to go. Abraham, uh, we often think, I, I sometimes think, the dudes and dudettes in the Bible had it so easy because God was always talking to them. And, and why doesn't God talk to me like he talked to Abraham? And I have to think to myself, maybe he does in some ways because Abraham was given an opportunity to doubt. In fact, he did doubt. So here's, here's a review of the promises made to Abraham. Genesis 13, uh, if you want to look at that, Genesis 13, 14, 13, 14 uh, says this, chapter 13, verse 14, the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot departed from him, lift your eyes from where you are, look north, south, east, and west, all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make you and your, your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that anyone can count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. And by the way, he also does this with the stars, and that's the cover of the skillet. It's an angel or God pointing to the stars saying, as the stars are so many, so your descendants will be so many. And what's so weird about this is that Abraham is, is uh, around 90 years, 90 years old. His wife, Sarai, she's like 80 years old. Have you ever seen an 80-year-old woman get pregnant? It's just, it's, you should be laughing. It's just ridiculous to think about. And yet Abraham is being promised that he will have lots and lots of kids. Um, verse chapter 15, the next chapter, again, God reminds him of this promise. Chapter 15, verse uh, 4, the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir. Talking about how, uh, how should Eliezer be my heir, my, my slave boy, should he be my heir? God says, no way. Verse 5, he took him outside and said, look up in the heavens, count the stars. If indeed you can, count them all. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed the Lord and, credited to, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Um, and then, he, then the Lord said, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldees to give you the land and take possession of it. But then Abraham said, O Lord, how can I know that I will gain possession of it? Abraham is doubting right here. So then God, I'm not going to read it, but God takes him through this blood covenant where animals are killed, blood is everywhere. Abraham walks through this blood area. Then God walks through this area of blood. It's just an Old Testament way of doing a covenant, a very serious thing of taking an animal's life so much so and saying, I will promise this to you. Let's not just shake hands. Let's not just sign a piece of paper. That's what we would do today. But in the Old Testament, it was a very serious thing Let's kill an animal, and right here, the life of this animal and its blood will represent the, the, the covenant that is between us. And so after all that, Abraham doubts. Look at uh, Genesis 16, verse 1. It says, Now Sarai, and that's Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. Why? Because she's like 80 years old, that's why. But she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, so Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children, Go, this is the wife talking to her husband. You have to realize this. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Talk about some serious doubt. His own wife is saying, yeah, go sleep with another woman. Maybe our line can be extended through her. Serious doubting. And of course, uh, bad things happen after that. Abraham agreed to what Sarah, Sarai had said. So Abraham had, had been, uh, let's see, let me skip. Yeah, just keep reading. He had been living in Canaan for 10 years, Sarai. Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. 
when she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abraham, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I have put my servant in your arms, and now that now she knows that she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. I mean, talk about some huge marital problems there. Um, all because of this doubt that, that Sarai had, and then Abraham continuing to go through with having sex with Sarai's maidservant so that they could have this family. Talk about some serious doubt. But, a, but Abraham is still continuing, even though Abraham messes up like that, Abraham is still given the promise that God made um, through him that he would have a son through Sarai. And in fact, they do. Not until chapter 21. I mean, that's like, how many chapters? It's like chapter 12, Abraham is given the promise all the way through chapter 21. All this stuff happens and finally, Abraham gives birth, uh, gives birth through Sarai, uh, and his son is named Isaac. Think about that for just a second. He's like 100 years old, 90, I think it says somewhere how old he is. Uh, Sarai is like 90 years old. I think he's like around 100 years old, and they have a kid. Pretty cool, don't you think? It took 12 years for Abraham's promise to be fulfilled, and yet Abraham was still faithful. He messed up along the way and decided to kind of make his own path with Hagar, the, uh, the maidservant, but God was still faithful. Abraham still followed the voice of the Lord and still was able to, have, to go through with the promise and receive his son so that the nations through him would be great. I want to tell you a story. The, the reason uh, there's papers on your desk that, have, uh, that talk about calendars, uh, there's a picture of, of a friend of mine who, who passed away. His name is Ben Couch. I'm just going to grab this. It's this piece of paper right here. Um, so how many of you knew Ben Couch? Quite a few of you. He, he was a mill missionary that uh, went to Nepal a couple years ago. He tragically died in a motorcycle accident. And um, I, I, one of his goals, one of his ideas at least, was he was going to take tons of photos. He was a missionary in, in Nepal, take tons of photos. And then, you know, one of the hardest things about being a missionary is you have to raise your own support, your own financial support to be a missionary. Um, and so he thought, if I take a ton of pictures, I can make a ton of calendars and then send those back to the people that are supporting me. And instead of just getting a letter saying thank you, they would get like a sweet calendar for the year. And, and, and so it was a pretty cool idea. And so before he died, he, he was totally into photography, took tons of pictures, and he passed away. And then that idea of his was carried on by his family and some friends. I'm part of the board of, uh, it's called Portal Calendars, and the calendars are like this. Uh, they're pretty sweet pictures that Ben took. And so all the, if you buy one of these calendars, that's what I'm talking about this for. If you buy, if you go to the website and, and buy a calendar for 10 bucks, 10 bucks will go to mill missions. 10 bucks will go to missionaries that are uh, overseas in places of the world that really need Jesus. This is a, this is, there's ton, you can come up and look at these photos later. But I, I think it's really cool that you buy a calendar. All the money goes to mill missions and you get a calendar out of it. Pretty sweet. But I want to tell you, I just told you that because I think the calendars are sweet and uh, they're worth 10 bucks for sure for the year of 2008, which is just right around the corner, ladies and gentlemen. But I tell you that story to really talk about Ben because I believe in many ways Ben Couch was a lot like Abram, receiving a calling from God and just leaving and going. And your calling might not be to leave and go to another country, but Abram's was. And Ben Couch's calling was. He was a very close friend of mine. And, and talking about him bring, it just brings some sadness to me. Because he would have been, been a guy that was, he would have been in my wedding if he was, if he was still alive. And, um, and, but he passed away in a motorcycle accident in Nepal, bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to a village that needed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And uh, the part of the story that I want to share with you is, is how he thought about his, his calling. It was, it was many years before, it was about three years before he decided to be a full-time missionary. Me, uh, Ben Couch, a guy named Caleb Spear. Caleb is also in Nepal uh, right now as we speak uh, as a missionary. Us, us three dudes decided, uh, <laughs> let's just go for three months to Southeast Asia, go to Thailand, Tibet, Nepal, Bangladesh, uh, travel all over the, the Southeast Asia for three months, 
uh, the, the Ben's and Caleb's idea for doing that was to go and meet with missionaries, to go and kind of see where they were called to go. They're both called, they feel called to the Himalayan region of the world where the gospel of Jesus Christ is very much in need. Um, and so their idea was to go there and just travel around and learn about being, what it would take to be a missionary there. My idea was just to go and have fun <laughs> for three months traveling around with really two really cool dudes that were my friends. But I remember being in Tibet at a, at a cafe, uh, and I actually got to share this story at his funeral. About, it was just about how he was called into ministry. And we were sitting at this cafe in Tibet, uh, I think just drinking coffee, um, reading our Bibles, doing some journaling. And I started, maybe I don't, I don't think I was really in a bad mood, but I was just kind of questioning why he felt so called into being a full-time missionary. And I said, how do you know that God has called you to, to be a missionary in the Himalayan region? I mean, I mean, I think I remember saying something to the effect of, well, wouldn't you be much more effective in the United States since you speak English and we speak English and the people in the Himalayans don't speak English? I mean, wouldn't you just be more effective here than there? And he started to share with me his heart. And he said, ever since I was a kid, there's been this calling. And he didn't even refer to it like that. He said, ever since I was a kid, there's just been such excitement about the Himalayan region of the world. There's just been such a passion to go to the Himalayas, to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to people that have never heard it before. And he said, my, co my calling kind of comes out of that, never from an audible voice, never from a straight, direct calling of God. But he said, I feel called, though, because of my passion, because of this gut feeling that I believe God is leading me to be a missionary in Nepal and in the Himalayan region of the world and people that need the gospel of Jesus Christ there. And so he said, he said something that, that's kind of stuck with me. He said, I'm going to go and do that because I think it's better than just staying and not being sure that what you're doing is from God. It was this gut feeling that he had, this passion to go to the, to the Himalayan region and share the gospel of Jesus rather than just staying home. He was a pretty talented construction worker uh, and electrician, but he said, I don't feel like I'm called to that. I feel all this passion and excitement when I think about the Himalayas and look at pictures of mountains and think about people that need to know Jesus Christ there. And so I think that's kind of, maybe that's how God led Abram, through a voice, through a calling, through a gut feeling, through maybe his father talking to him about this land called Cana in which we're going to go to someday. But his father didn't make it. But Abram was called to go to Cana, to be a blessing to the entire world with the people that would come out of his own body. They would come be his own descendants. And so I have to ask you right now, what, it's a question that Brady Boyd keeps asking at the end of every service. What do you think God is showing you right now? What's the Holy Spirit telling you right now? A lot of us have, um, are in some ways waiting for an audible voice, but only a few of us in here have heard an audible voice, and it may or may not have been according to what you feel called to do. But every one of us, I think, have some sort of a gut feeling or a calling from God, a, a searching, a desire, a passion to do something specific of, as, that God is calling us to do. So would you bow your heads right now as I, as I pray over you? God, we just want your calling on our life. God, as our eyes are closed, as our head is bowed, God, would you just show us something even right now, even as we sit in the Mill Sunday School talking about Abraham and how you called him. God, would you just remind us of things that you've put in our hearts. Maybe it's things that you've put in our hearts ever since we were a kid. Passions to do something specific for your goals, for your kingdom, for your will. God, we want to be like you. We want to be your servants. We want to follow in your ways and not doubt. And so God, give us that calling. Give us your leading as we pray right now, Jesus. We love you. We thank you for everything you do for us. And it's in Jesus' name that we say, amen.